deeper brown, which a white foam does also crown. Less white than snow, more white than mortar. Oh my soul, can this be porter? From the déjeuner, which, as best as I can find, means the luncher, a French publication, I'm guessing. Can't quite tell. Uh, but that is from the 1889 book, The Curiosities of Ale and Beer by John Bickerdyke. Welcome to the Novice's Guide to Beer Styles. I'm your host, Lauren McCaffrey. And with me today is a former coworker and friend, Alex Lindquist. Hey, how you doing, everyone? All right. <laughs> so, the style that I brought Alex on to talk about is the porter, obviously. This beer, fueled and been fueled by the Industrial Revolution. It was the first beer to be mass-produced and shipped all over the world. It was also the first beer to kill multiple people in a flood. Literally a flood of beer. I'd want to die that way. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a favorite of George Washington's. In fact, we have records of several of the Founding Fathers buying this beer. (laughs) It's It's one of my favorites, too. Cheers. I'm going to cling to that. Oh, so today, mm. our, our first example that we are drinking is the famous Taddy Porter. It's um, Samuel Smith Old Brewery Tadcaster. Samuel Smith, they've been around a long time. And they tell Classic. me on the bottle. They say... Oh, they tell me when the original well that was used for their brewing... Uh, sunk in 1758. Yep. But as, as as I'm tasting this right now, can I do a little Ooh, tasting yeah, 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 yeah. profile? As, uh, besides talk, talking about the history of it here. So uh, we uh, we poured this out. I let it warm up for a minute here. You want, you want a porter to be slightly warmer, maybe 55 to 65 degrees-ish to get some of that roasty notes out. The color here, it's really dark, but not quite black. Almost, it's like a very deep brown with maybe a smidgen of red at the oh, very yeah. center Oh yeah, I definitely, there. I see amber when I yeah. hold it up to our, our yeah, you gotta, light Yeah, you gotta hold it up to a light. It's not, it's, got, it does have a transparency to it. I believe this one is filtered from that. I, I'd have to check on this brewery. Yeah, I, I, do, I do believe this. This one looks filtered to me. I mean, it should so, be. Yeah. So, um, so you got that with uh, the head on it uh, is maybe a, a light tan. It's not quite white, but a light tan, but not quite like a deeper brown that you might get from a bourbon barrel aged heavier one. And it's, and it's good retention. It's definitely sticking mm. around. And I can tap my glass and kind of get mm. some of it to even come back a little bit. So it's holding in those volatiles so we can get a good aroma. Mm-hmm. The aroma, spe- speaking of, the aroma I'm getting, hang on, just getting d- definitely notes of like uh, m- maybe some cocoa in there, maybe a, lo- maybe a slight note of fig actually. Yeah, dark fruits are definitely something that I, I see in a lot of records of of this style. All right, tasting this guy. I'm getting, I'm actually getting that dark fruit first, but then in the finish, I'm getting a, I'm getting a sweetness actually from this, like a, like a 
like a ch- a chocolate, maybe like a really dark chocolate, not like not like straight up cocoa, but like it, it almost would taste like maybe a English candy or something like that. Yeah. That's, that's that's what I'm getting in there. Caramel roasted mm-hmm. toffee, yeah. that type of thing. Um, but I definitely get roast first and then the sweetness. But there's bitter in there too. But it's it's balanced as it's supposed to be. This mm-hmm. one is yeah. balanced. Super super balanced. Maybe a maybe a teeny tiny bit of bitterness in the back, but but not overwhelming. That that's like way back. That's like the aftertaste a little bit there. Oh it, yeah, it yeah. lingers just a little yeah. bit, but so does the sweetness. So yeah, so it yeah. balances out. You get the sweet, you get the bitterness. Uh, it's not it's not a very complex beer at all. You can easily just sit down at this with the pub at the pub, you know, get get yourself some uh, sausage or brisket or something like that. And yeah, to me, this one was really accessible. Um, I was I was mm. definitely into this style from the moment I tried it. Unlike some of the, <laughs> you know, adjuncted, heavily adjuncted yeah. lagers that are really hard to intro on. At least for me, they were. What does, mm. so this style, what does it mean to you personally? All right. So to me, this style is what I think of when I want to go, when I want to go to the pub, you know? I, I know that, <laughs> that. Like a traditional pub, like like, like like a traditional think like in like a British pub. If I'm gonna sit down, even though it may not be the proper style for fish and chips or whatever, it's like right. I, I think I think that uh, in Chicago, uh, where I'm from, there are so many like Irish and British style bars that are brick and they're so cozy. Some of them have been around forever and. Especially in the wintertime, you, you go in there and it's like, okay, I want something a little bit darker. And it, my go-tos are either a porter or uh, an amber style at a pub, you know? And I like that. And, and I would it, say this is closer to an amber for me than a stout is, for sure. Definitely closer like to an amber. Even, even the colors got a lot of amber in this one. And with a stout, you know, I expect it to be darker. Yes. Well, if, I, if I'm ordering a stout, I want like a meal in a glass. <laughs> you know, I, I want it dark. I want it heavy. I want but, it to sit. I want this, it to warm me up. But yeah, this is... You Do you want like, I don't know, you want that yeah. roastiness for you? I do want the roastiness, but I want it to be balanced too. But what I like about it, it's like this is balanced enough. I could drink this most of the year. I'd probably go lighter if it's over 90 degrees. But other than that, this is easily something I could drink, drink year round. You go, you go into to a cozy pub, you know, with your friends, and it's just one you can order, and you can, you can drink this for quite a while too, because uh, most porters are not very strong. Yes, yes, and that that should also be something to be used as a distinction here, between stout and porter. Again, that's really something we're going to try and focus on as we go through this style because the two are often mixed because we've we haven't had strict rules with that so people Mm. might call a stout something that is a porter or a porter something is that is a stout but there are guidelines for a reason that really illustrate a difference even if 
you go to somebody in the industry and they don't necessarily <laughs> have that. The, yeah. A beer judge should. Yes. A, a very beer, distinctly, with, the, with a blindfold on, be able to tell you me. the difference. Yes. A- a- absolutely. I want to ask you more about your, okay. your history with the brewing industry uh, first. Okay, so I bounce all over the place, and I'll try. I'll try to, cause it's it's a long story, but I'm gonna try and condense it here. so, to, this is actually kind of a fun story to, about what got me into craft beer at first. At first, I thought beer was crap. Okay, I can can I use PG language on this? You can <laughs> go PG. Okay, okay, <laughs> all right, so. Uh, I turned 21. Uh, my, my buddy Scotty Zepka. Hi, Scotty. Hi, family. I know you'll uh, listen to this once it's up. <laughs> so, so Scotty's like, "All right, Linquist Head, you're gonna like beer today," and he, and he takes me to Sheffield's Bar in Wrigley Field, a bar that's been around a really long time. It's it's part of Wrigley Field. Wrigleyville, actually. Uh, ri- uh, so Wrigley. For those of you not from Chicago, uh, Wrigley Field is surrounded by a lot of bars and that area is just called Wrigleyville. This bar's not it's not where the frat boy bars are nearby. It's actually a few blocks away. Old building, great old wooden setup and all that. A pub, actually like a pub setup, very cozy. And I get this giant menu of beer style of beers and I'm like, "What the heck?" And he's like, "Oh, just pick something you like. It'll sound good." And I'm like, "Okay." Oh, this sounds interesting. Uh, Bear Republic, Big Bear, Black Stout. It's got notes of coffee. I like coffee. So it comes out, and it came out in a bomber. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it came out. Well, we're going to a Cubs game afterwards, you know. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's what you do. You pregame, of course. So I'm like, all right, I pour this thing out. I'm like, this beer is black, dude. Like, it, it really dark. I sipped it, and I'm like, beer can do this? And he just has this big grin. He's like, and welcome to the club of people that love beer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so fast forward to the actual uh, in- industry. So I have been gunning really hard to try and get jobs at breweries left and right, but you got to know someone or whatever. Now, I had been uh, at the time living on and off in Fort Collins, and, uh, and someone I know... Um, uh, uh, Becky, Becky, uh, she was working at Snowbank when they first opened. Mm. Uh, do you know her, actually? No, I don't, but I love Snowbank. Yeah, me too. Me too. They just had a uh, chocolate chip sandwich cookie stout last week. Mwah, it was fantastic. But uh, <laughs> any anyway, so uh, I, I met Becky, and as I'm trying to get uh, into a brewery, uh, there's one op- that was opening up at the time in Wellington, uh, Soul Squared Brewing, and I went to apply there, and she emailed me back. I'm like, "Hey, I know you. You're Becky," and that was my in to the to the brewery business. I just started off as a as a bartender there. You know, they make an excellent hazy IPA, the Ro- the Rocky Mountain Haze. I highly recommend that one there. Did that did that for maybe a year or so. Then at the time, personal stuff I won't get into, moved out, went to Madison, Wisconsin with a then girlfriend. We split up. I didn't get my old job back. 
And I was just like, okay, I'm going to take any job in the United States. That sounds cool. So I just applied everywhere. I applied to Bells, New Belgium, a bunch in Chicago, and then Dogfish Head in Delaware got back to me of all places. That is so <laughs> random. I yeah. cannot believe you did that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they got back to me and they're and they're like, Hey, you want you wanna you wanna come on board? And I'm like I'm like, Okay, sure and I go there and I'm a not just a bartender but also a tour guide, which is a ton of fun, by the way. I'm <laughs> I mean, I've been I've been looking through the pictures of yeah. of some of their stuff and yeah, that looks really mm. fun. Oh man. It, it was so much fun, and then and then throughout the tour too, uh, one of the highlights was you stop at the R and D, the research and development. That's like a, I think that's a seven barrel tank, that they make these really small batches of stuff that's only released at the tap room just for funsies, and and we were and as tour guides we were always like, all right. What's at the little What's at the little kegerator today that we're gonna get to try? Because of course, uh, I mean, the guests get to drink it, but it's like I get to too, you know. You know, if you're, if you're gonna be talking for uh, three hours, got well, it's three hours. Uh, the tour's an hour and a half, but I did usually two a day, you oh know. Oh my god! So if you're doing that, I gotta wet my whistle, you know. Yes. And that, I, that was an ap- It was an absolute blast, but. Uh, but uh, no offense against the good people of Delaware, okay? But uh, Delaware just never felt like home to me, you know. And it's I'm glad it's something I did, some, something I tried. Shout, shout out, shout out to my friend Jen Lipinski, my work wife from there. Oh, nice. <laughs> she was she was amazing, and uh, and so uh, I so I go online and I'm like, all right. Where else am I gonna go? And then High Hops uh, in uh, Windsor, Colorado, not far. Uh, <laughs> Which is where we met. And that's how I met Lauren. <laughs> they got back to me and they said, yeah, we need a bartender. But what was cool too is they were open for me doing other jobs uh, there as well, you know, cause right. I wanna keep growing. And now I'm a sales rep with them actually. So here I am. I hope that I hope that wasn't too much of a ramble there. I tried to <laughs> no, <laughs> throw it's, some stuff in there, you know. It's fun that you've um, done some tour guide stuff and been at some breweries that are definitely different from oh, Colorado. Yeah, you know, whereas I have not. <laughs> <laughs> but, our, how long were you at High Ops for? Uh, a year, okay. and then COVID hit. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't there that much before you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, wow, we got there, like, kind of at the same time. And mm-hmm. and you, did you do production with us, too? I did. I, I would sometimes be on the canning lines. Well, what, what was cool uh, working with High Hops is I got a good look into everything. Like, yeah, uh, I've, I've helped Noel, uh, 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 Noel, our head brewer. Well, one of the, head, I'm going to call brewers. him head brewer. head brewer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he does a lot. He does it. He does a lot. And, uh, and I've made a beer with him before, you know, so I get a, I get a good look into, okay, what it takes to make the beer, uh, then what it takes on the production to get it all all out there marketing and then how much tears how many how much frustration yeah and 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 then being (laughs) 
and then be, being out there selling it, the system and the laws you have to go through with, I mean, it's, it's insane how strict, especially the state of Colorado, too. I mean, if you compare Colorado to, like, Wisconsin, you know, like, Colorado is so unbelievably strict. Wisconsin's but, not? Not nearly as bad, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I really... You, can, you can't quote me on that for sure. Just from what I've talked with with people in the industry in Wisconsin, they, they, they actually have told me, like, oof, Colorado, really? They're like, you got, that, they got a lot of uh, strict laws. Not as bad as Utah, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Utah's tricky. Yeah. Oh, Utah. <laughs> but they're not the only ones. No, I think I it's uh, Oklahoma has some crazy laws yeah. that they won't let go of. But Delaware did, too. Mm. That Oh, yeah. Well, we read the, we read the same book. Yes. <laughs> Sam Calagione, the owner-founder of, of Dogfish Hell. I, I, oh my God, um, fun story with Sam. So uh, every Friday uh, around 4.30, because that, that's before we go into the weekend, and we called it Beer 30, where we had an upstairs area that was only for uh, people working there. And, and we, we'd go up there, and it was always someone's duty to just bartend, but it was fun, you know? It's like you didn't mind it. It was always someone's turn. It was my turn, and Sam's up there, and then he's like, he comes up, he kind of talks like this. He, he almost like East Coast Italian. Hey, how you doing, you know? And he's like, hey, what's your name? And I'm like, uh, I'm Alex. He's like, hey, Alex, nice to meet you. Your beer's empty. And he's just, he just pours a beer at my empty glass. <laughs> he just pours a beer in it. He's like, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it was great i'm like i'm like really fun place to work that does sound fun yeah. and i saw the picture of the it looks like a metal sculpture playground oh uh that would be the tree house it the uh the tree house was um uh, it's been so long since i've done the since i've done the tour it was at uh it was one of those big festivals out there a burning man that was it it was at Burning Man, and the and the artist didn't know what to do with it. They built it for that, and they're like, okay, uh, someone want to buy it off me. And Sam goes, that thing is so cool, I'll buy it for a dollar. He bought it for a dollar. What? Oh, yeah, but here's, the, but here's why he got it for a dollar. Because disassembling it, shipping, and reassembling it cost thousands oh my God. <laughs> that's why <laughs> so he bought it for a dollar with a huge asterisk next to it <laughs> well it looks really cool oh, and, it's I, re and i want to go it's awesome when it when it would uh they actually had it where you could light a fire at the bottom it would pump steam through it and they had a whistle that you could toot and uh the the, the spokes would actually shoot out the steam <laughs> oh my goodness See, that's really fun. All right, Dogfish Head is a place you should go and check out. I mean, if you're going to do anything in Delaware, you should do that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I would be down. I hope it hasn't changed too much uh, with the new ownership. Oh, with Sam Adams? I don't think they're going to change it too much, actually. It seems like the two were friends. Yeah. The, yeah. The two owners have known each other for quite a while. They know each other, and they know, too, that they're... Uh, marketing and what they're known for is it's so different yes so so different and uh we, we had a there was a big all 
all um, uh, uh, co-worker meeting. You know, so because if if I would if I would have said employees, um, uh, anyone uh, back at Dogfish, I would have killed me for that. It was coworker, not employee. Ah, uh, I see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so an all coworker meeting. Jim Cook, uh, the CEO of uh, Boston Beer Company, Sam Adams was there too, and just fielding questions. And he state and he stated how much he knows about Dogfish Head's following. Okay. That they're different, and he's like, we're not going to change it, but. We're just, we're just putting in some money to make sure that we stay afloat, can uh, can properly get the beer out to where we need it and all that. And he wanted to be as hands-off, actually, as possible. I mean, I, I felt like because he started as a microbrew, too, he kind of had a better understanding than the companies that have not been microbrews for you know, a hundred years. He did. He, so he knows. He like I know he also started in the same spot that Sam did, mm. where like you had crazy struggles and. Oh yeah. You know, people people weren't interested in trying something new, and you had to push. Oh yeah. I I mean I did I didn't even know what a craft beer was till I was twenty one. I knew mm. only because I was here in Fort Collins. Oh yeah. See, in Chicago, in. I turned 21 in 2006. Like, the only thing we really knew was Goose Island, and that was about it. Yeah, yeah. okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, oh yeah, and more, more little funny stories. Just with that meeting, the meeting started out with Sam wheeling this cart full of growlers of beer at 9 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> from from where? Like just oh the tap room. Just from the tap room. <laughs> from the tap room, he's just wheeling in growlers. Oh my goodness! He's wheeling in growlers full of beer, and then and then and then and then he's like and then he's like oh this is the way to get a meeting started. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good good me- good memories. But and anyways, I that's enough about me. I know we're talking about porters here no i like i like the stories and it helps us be relevant to what we're talking about yeah because the porters got some stories behind it and i and i wanted to look up so samuel smith's um we this is an import yeah samuel well samuel smith's they're out of england oh my gosh i just found a rock band called teddy porter too That's amazing. (laughs) That's amazing. But this is our one import um, for the day for Porter because I don't have access to very many. Okay, so they do add cane sugar to this guy. Okay. I can see that. But what's interesting, though, with adding sugar, how uh, low of an ABV it is. Usually if you add sugar to a beer, it jacks up the ABV. Depends on when you add it. Very good point. That's true. Or or like if you cut uh, fermentation early and and you feed the yeast the sugar and then you say no and you and you pull them out. That's true. Of solution, you know? Yeah. I'm sure you'd. Upset okay. them very deeply because because if, if sugar is put in there for um, uh, flavor, 
um, that, 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 then it's like that, then it's like this does not follow the Reinstabutla. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, <laughs> they're more like guidelines anyway. <laughs> yeah, this okay, one says served at uh, fifty-five degrees too. Yep. Yeah. So, so when I was reading through stuff, uh, the reason why it's like 55, 65 max is because that's the temperature. Sorry. I, I love know, how you just I took the rest of it. I didn't mean to take the rest of it. I should. <laughs> Lauren just took the, because we, we poured out most of the bottle, split it between two, and she just takes the rest because she's like, I'm the guest. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the guest. I'm bad so. habit. I'm sorry. You can hear. You can have. More. Even a little bit. Yeah. Thank uh, you. It's got nice head. Nice head retention. But but yeah. So the I reason I could have made a million jokes about that. <laughs> yeah, I know. The reason this guy is uh, supposed to be drinking at the temperature it is is because that's cellar temperature, and. A lot of the aspects of Porter were specifically designed for that temperature. Because at the time that it was created, you don't have refrigeration. And so everything that you're pumping out of kegs in a pub is going to be at that cellar temperature. And so you're going to brew things that will be ideal there. Because you don't have a hope of getting things cooler. Not really. No. You could you could bury yeah. it underground and like pull from something like that, but. Eh. But if you if you have a cellar, think like a basement. How even in summertime your basement is colder. You know that's yeah, but pretty not, much what they could do. That's all they got. And yeah, that's all they could do. So you you would you would try and cellar it during <laughs> during the time when it was ideal for it <laughs> to condition. Yeah. I wanted to give me more history on this brewery, but there's there's not a whole lot. I guess people don't go into this like looking for more. That's a shame because it, a very historic brewery. I mean, I mean uh, Sam Smith's beers; those have been ones that I've seen on the shelves forever, and I mean it's a staple of a. Anytime I've gone to a English, even if it's not on draft, like a British style pub usually has a Sam Smith variation, even even in a bottle. As I go through the BJCP guidelines, this is one of the ones that is listed as a commercial example, specifically of the English Porter. Yes. Along yeah. with Burton Porter, Fuller's London Porter, Nethergate Old Growler Porter, RCH Old Slug mm. Porter, those are the ones yeah. that they say. I mean, this also hasn't been updated since 2015, but these are the <laughs> ones that they say are exe- exemplary. It is. I mean, I mean, what we're drinking right now is like the standard porter, what it should taste like. Yes. There's, there's like, I mean, if you, if you, you go to a bar and you say, I'd like a porter, they pour this out. That's exactly what I would expect. Yeah. And, and BJCP is the beer judge certification. So so that's what we're talking about. That's mm-hmm. who I'm kind of going to. But I'm also yeah. looking at um, the Brewers Association guidelines, which are a little different, by the way. Um, they're also split into brown porter and robust porter. 
which yeah. by the way is not really a thing. I don't know if you saw that when you're looking stuff up. <laughs> yeah. By the way, ro- I thought robust just meant smoked. So, okay. yeah, I'm learning I'm learning stuff too here. So, when I was reading the section in the beer bible, oh no, it was actually it was Randy Mosher's section on Porter. Okay. Um, yeah, because I, I, it wasn't just stuff I looked up. I thought a robust porter was a smoked porter, but if I'm wrong, then by all means, I'd rather <laughs> learn and know what I'm talking about. So, I think it was Randy who said that he talked to um, Michael Jackson. We're talking about the beer, beer Michael Jackson. Yeah, the the, the beer. Uh, for those of you who don't, well, do your uh, listeners know about Michael Jackson, the author who wrote the craft beer Bible? No, a lot of, well, he didn't write beer, beer Bible, well, but he wrote, um, he wrote a ton of stuff, yeah. which I've been slowly collecting. Because well, I, I know Sam Calagione, dogfish head guy he used michael jackson uh, like all of his stuff as reference but but yeah so he i think it's him who's he says it somewhere in here that he talked to michael jackson and michael jackson says yeah we kind of made up those categories Uh, because we wanted to differentiate the two types of porters that we see out there and we think they're different we think these these two examples are different i gotcha so, yeah, tricky. Another tricky. Like, well, that's why it's muddy history. Won't go into it because you you forbade me from doing it. But I'm just gonna <laughs> slight throw in: if you ever out there and you see a Baltic porter, that's a whole different animal. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and and I wanted to keep it separate because this is enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. We haven't even gotten into like the flood or any of that like like there's so much behind the history of this beer with, yes. with, with england yes e- yeah e- the english history is wild but let's let's go through some of the ba combined with bjcp guidelines that mm-hmm. i read through as right. well as um i added in stuff from the books that i was reading like uh there's one book called porter it's part of the ba series the Brewers Association series that they yeah. kind of do. So, appearance. We're looking for light to dark brown, amber tint. Yep, got got that out. Got all that right there. Yep, white to off-white foamy head with good retention. Yes. Got and it. we want this in a no-nick glass. Guinness has their own glass. It's very nice. It's not it's not a pint glass. It's much more shapely yeah. and meant to give... I'm sure you've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> if, you've, and, if you've been to an Irish bar, you've seen that glass. Right. And it, and it gives you better head retention as well as um, allowing you to really get your nose and get the aromas. Uh, also, Spiegelau joined with Left Hand and made their own mm. special glass for this beer. See it all the time here in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> so I it's... Got one. It's um, super narrow at the bottom, kind of like uh, like if you took a shot glass and elongated it and stuck it at the bottom of, I don't know, a more rounded snifter type glass. So it's got a unique profile for sure. And it's, it's supposed to have the best retention. I haven't tested these against each other, but I will. I will. Mm-hmm. 
And let's go to aroma. Yep. Supposed to be subtle, rarely overwhelming, multi grainy notes with hints of fruit and esters. Mm, that's exactly what I. That's, that's what, what I smell. Yep. It's got to have a full body mouthfeel. I'm getting, I think so. I get like, I actually get like medium to full, you know, not like. So that is something that I see in the guidelines that I saw less of historically. They were, they were a little bit more robust because they weren't very filtered. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But yeah, in, in, in today's uh, day and age of filtration, you can definitely change that up. All right, multi, dry, not sweet, with bitterness that is balanced with the roasty malt flavors. So roasty malt flavors, we're talking like coffee, toffee, caramel, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Nothing overpowering the others, because once you start heading that direction, we're talking about a stout. Yes, stout or even even something else, you know, depending on what that flavor overpower if you get too much caramel now you're going into amber territory actually yes yeah if you used a crystal malt yes. then you're probably going to get more of those caramel notes um which i don't know what kind of malt this one used but i but would i would ass- i would assume chocolate chocolate malt's got to be one of them i would assume because you definitely get the chocolate notes out of there yeah but don't get get me wrong i could be wrong but just a guess. Chocolate, chocolate works. Crystal works. Um, you can you can do some of these darker malts, and you're gonna do less of them, and then majority is gonna be a pale malt, because you need from the pale malt you need more of that food for the yeast. The darker malt is so roasted that it's gonna contribute flavors, but not food for the yeast, because you killed it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you. You're roasted. Yeah. It. There's nothing That's else in dead. there. It's it's it's, it's dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, ABV. I again did a mixture, so we're looking at four point four to six point six percent. Isn't this guy a straight up fiver? This is a five percent. Yeah. And then again, this is also mixed. SRM. We're looking at twenty to over thirty. So, <laughs> I'm going to say yeah. this is somewhere in the middle yeah. of that. Yeah. I can see through it. Yep. Um, and, and again, that's, depending on who you talk to, that should be clearer. Um, IBU, again, those are the alpha acids dissolved in solution. We're looking at 18 to 40. Wait. So, again. Like I said, every time, this does not necessarily correlate mm. with perceived bitterness because there are other mm. things in play that make a beer bitter, not mm. just alpha acids. But those are our general guidelines. Yeah. It is funny when you're mentioning IBUs with that too. A lot of people think, oh, it's just, how can you measure bitterness? But it's <laughs> right. the acids, yeah. Right. And, and yeah. again, there's also going to be differentiation between people like what are your taste buds like because there is a slight bitterness to this in general but some some people might might be like okay that that's fairly balanced if someone else might i know people who would be like oh that's such a bitter beer why would you drink that you know yeah so super tasters are people who have more taste buds on their tongue 
it's pretty crowded. And you can see this if you dye your tongue a different color and you can see those larger cells are easy to distinguish because they're round and visible. I've got big ones. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually done that test. <laughs> but you, you differentiate um, between a non-taster, a mm. taster, and a super taster mm. based on how many of those taste buds are in a like given area. Mm. So I think it was like under 15, you're a non-taster. 15 to 25, you're in the taster range. Mm. When you start going above 25, you're a super taster, and a lot of times they're not going to enjoy beer because mm. the bitter is going to come across stronger maybe yeah. to them than it will to me. Or us, I guess. That's like. true. <laughs> <laughs> or us. I'm, not, I'm definitely not a super taster, but I've got quite a bit of them. I was a, I was a very picky eater as a kid. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> but but because I think we're in that like sweet range, like we can differentiate beers and appreciate them. You know, there's a yeah, and and also bitter enjoying bitter is a learned thing. Oh yeah. So I, as ki- a lot of kids don't like bitter things. I mean, I hated I hated the taste of coffee. I still I, hate the taste of grapefruit. <laughs> I do not like the taste of tea in general. It's too mm. bitter for me. It was funny. At High Hops, one of their seasonal releases was a grapefruit blonde. And it's funny because people loved it and all that. Objectively a great beer. And and I'm just like, I'm sorry, guys. I hate grapefruit and you put grapefruit puree in it. <laughs> of course I'm going to hate that beer. <laughs> Ooh. What? That Ooh. gets me into where Ooh. we're going. Ooh. Okay. 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 So history. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. <sighs> okay. So, let me start with the myth. So, the myth was written down in like 1802 by a tour guide. And he says Porter was uh, made by a brewer named Harwood in 1720s. And this guy was a publican. That means he owned a pub. And he was running around mixing beers for people mixing like old ales and some of the fresher like table beers that are lighter to try and get what the customers wanted so he decided that it would probably be easier if he just made a beer that encompassed all of these characteristics that people were mixing together and thus porter is born (laughs) <laughs> that's a myth. Sure, that's not true. But it's a fun story and it's yeah. very simple. And so I thought, what if we did our own mix? Okay. So, <laughs> so, so for me, that sometimes it can be sacrilege, but it could be fun. Hey, it just hey, depends. hey. We did this at High Hops all the dang time. Oh, we did. You know. We did. So we had a special mix that everybody loved mm. who came in. The long-term relationship? Oh, I forgot about that Really? <laughs> so See, we, we had to come up with favorite. new names of the combined beers, yeah. but the one I'm thinking of is Pucking Chaos. Oh, yeah. So we had Puckerberry Blackberry Sour with Chaotic Neutral, um, which was a... That was Sour a, New England IPA. Sour New England Goza. It was like a Goza IPA. 
Yeah, yeah. Goza Hazy IPA. Very unique style it, of beer. Was it blood orange or what? It was it wasn't blood orange. It was it was just a it was just a goza IPA. Like citrusy. It, it wasn't fruited. No? I didn't think it was. But yeah, so so the two combined and it was magical. And we yeah. all loved it and every customer loved it who was into sours. Remind me which two long-term relationship was. Oh, that one was uh, that one was the one night stand and at the time we had a cookie porter. Oh, that's, what was the cookie porter's name? I don't remember now. Oh, um, the double stuff. Yeah, okay, so double stuff du- Oreo. <laughs> Oreo cookie porter. As we're talking about porters, that's, porter. why, that's why I'm like, that's why I thought that was what you were going to mention, actually, to, no, <laughs> to tie it in with porters. I forgot For, about it. Yeah, so it was 6% very sweet beer. I mean, it, it's like drinking an Oreo. I mean, there's no other way to describe Like, all the notes that we mentioned None of that in this thing. Right. It was drinking a cookie. And I thought it was a bit too sweet. But then our one night stand, uh, that guy is a... Delicious. Oh, 13% ABV stout. Yeah, bourbon barrel aged. Bourbon barrel aged stout. It's a big beer. You did two thirds of the cookie stout. And I mean, cookie porter, one third of uh, the barrel aged stout. You've got yourself a long-term relationship. That thing was <laughs> awesome. So I take back what I said that it's sacrilege to mix beers because that, that was good. That actually was really good. Yeah, yeah, and and honestly, I think it's more inspirational. Yeah. When you do something like that, and you get to, you know, figure out what aspects do you like and what combined well, and can you mm. make a beer that's like this or even better? Exactly. Because you oh, know definitely. the evolution of beer is going to continue. So. Oh yeah, I mean, look at every look at all the beers that we that that I just see around town. It's it's like I, I swear sometimes we're like, all right, just what can we throw in it and see what happens? You like know? a spaghetti goza. Jesus. Oh god. <laughs> Actually, you know one of my one of my favorites. I wish they'd bring it back. Um, uh, uh Wincoop Brewery out of Denver. Uh, they used to do their Rocky Mountain Oyster Stout. Okay. That thing so was good. That is a thing. Yeah. As I'm reading through the history, that is a big thing, mm. was combining oysters and stout, or oysters and porter. And This isn't oysters. <laughs> this isn't oyster. You know what a Rocky Mountain oyster is, right? I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but like... For those of you who don't live in Colorado, bull <laughs> testicles. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is a thing, and people have been doing it for a long time. Yeah. And apparently done right is very well prepared. Yeah. As funny as it sounds, too, it actually adds like a, a tinge of like natural saltiness to the beer. <laughs> yeah. I've... It does. And it, it was so good. I... So, okay. So as I'm looking through the history, by the way, there were oysters Pictures, yeah. in there. And also there was one brewery that put meat. I'm talking literal mm. chunks in your beer of meat because well, they wanted it to be hearty and healthy. Yeah. yeah. I and... mean, that's not far off. I, I It actually wouldn't shock me if breweries tried to, if some brewery tries to do that in the near future. I... I think it is worthwhile, but the FDA is going to be a bear about Nine. that. I've had some stuff overseas that the FDA would never approve, <laughs> so I, I get it. Yeah, but they'll approve Pop-Tarts, so what's up with that? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> all right, we're getting... Okay. All right. 
commercial break. We're going to go uh, pour us another beer. We will be right back. Okay, we're back. And here's what we're going to do. So, because the myth is that there were three different beers, and when I was reading through Michael Jackson's book, um, New World Guide to Beers, he lists them as pale ale, brown ale, and old ale. Old English ale in particular. Right. I I mean, I've seen the two used interchangeably. So, I was trying to get my hands on like import versions of the three of these. So for the pale ale, I have bass. And this one, oh man, are we going to talk about this brewery <laughs> when we get into IPAs? Because yeah. this is this is like the big boy of, or well, was. the main big boy was yeah. for pale ales. Bass is in Burton-on-Trent. And they have a specific type of water that makes it ideal for pale ales. So, special. That's cool. I didn't know that. Oh, man. <laughs> I've got a book for you. Okay. Is it all about bass? <laughs> no, it's, um, it's, it's India Pale Ales. Oh, okay. And it's, it's a fun little story. All right. Sweet. Modern and historic. Nice. Very interesting. Cool. And then for the brown ale, I found Sam Smith's, same as the one we did earlier, same brewery. This is their nut brown ale. But for the old ale, I could not find an import old ale. So I had to go with a local one by Great Divide. One of my, it, one of my winter favorites. <laughs> it is called Hibernation Ale. It's delicious. I like that one. And then I want to mention, too, with the Sam Smith's Nut Brown Ale. That's when me and my brother Mark, uh, that's one of our good go-to beers uh, when we're feeling like something English, you know? Nice. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I've i had that one plenty, so I know what I'm getting into there. And I have not. Oh, wonderful. So cool. I, I, I'm pretty sure I've had hibernation but I have definitely not had bass or this nut brown from Sam Smith. All right. So, so do we pour these out like a third of each, or did it say how many, how much to put in of each style? No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't say. The myth doesn't say. So, okay. I would guess that it's going to be more like a nice base of pale, and then overdo it with the brown and the old. Okay. <laughs> we'll do that. Do we want to try each individual beer first or do we just want to mix it and see how and see what notes come out? You're you're the host. We got to mix it. We're just going to We're going to mix it first. All right, let's just f and go here. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I'm going to start with pale, make it my base. All right. Ba- you pick how much you right. want. And then I'm going to go I'm going to I'm going to do a full. I'm going to I'm going to go I'm going to try and go even a third of each. Okay. I'm just going to be a little Let's say I did a third of my glass with pale. I'm going to do just, less than a third with just brown. I was going to say, just because with the pale ale, you, I'm trying to get it where the bitterness doesn't overtake it. Because the old English and the, the nut brown especially is not bitter at all. 
And the and of all of these, the bass is definitely the most bitter of the three. Mm, okay. So that's why I'm trying to do a third, a third, a third here. Okay, there's that. Let me get some of the uh, hibernation in that shocker. All right. Now let's see. Let's. Why don't we go down the list of all of the things it should be and see how accurate see how we it is. Did. Yes, yes. We're going we're gonna to go by the official <laughs> rules on this thing here, yes. all right? Okay. Okay. So, so. Well, mine is a uh, pretty dark amber. Mine looks identical to you. That's a dark amber. Yeah, that, that could definitely pat. It looks like, yeah, like a dark amber ale or like a light porter. It's in between. Yours is a little darker than mine. I, I poured more of the uh, darker beers in. You yeah, poured more of the did. bass in there. Because bass is a very light beer. And then um, I've got maybe a little bit more head retention for now. Yeah, you definitely have more head retention than I do. I smell a lot of pale malt. <laughs> you poured so much pale in there. That's why. I'm, I'm getting more. Hang on. I'm getting like caramel. Actually, more like an amber, which which can be which can definitely be an that aroma. can work. That, that can, can that work. can work. I'm not getting dark fruit or esters. I am getting a tiny bit of chocolate though. Teeny tiny bit of you want to smell? Yeah, yeah. Um, Little bit of chocolate. Caramel is the main thing that I'm smelling here. Let me smell yours. Too? Pale. Yes. <laughs> well, with the pale ale, if you get like those like citrusy hops or whatever that pop out, that's what you're going to get. It's going to override the aroma. Okay, here we go. All right. That's Ooh, that's I like mine. It's very nice. <laughs> I can go darker. That but that's fine. I can always add more. Hang on. Let me go one more here. Hmm. Mine is a little light for the flavor profile I'm going I got for. the right mouthfeel. Definitely got the right mouthfeel. Not so much chocolate. This, oh wait, there is a little bit. This, I wouldn't necessarily call it a porter, but it's got like some of the notes. Tiny, tiny bit of chocolate. None of, none of that dark fruit or anything. The bitterness hits right though. It almost, it almost tastes like I mixed an amber with a porter. Oh. Around there. Here, give it, give it a try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the caramel is there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I like the old ale in there. Yes. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of That's very mm. nice. I'm you, gonna, you yeah. said you like yours, but I'm, I'm trying to see how yours differs here. Definitely getting more of that pale ale in there with yours. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still, it's still actually pretty good, but it just doesn't have as much of the notes as a porter. Not trying to make this like a contest or whatever. Oh, no, I, no. I definitely feel that mine is closer... Yeah, I, to a porter I, started, and could, I started light because I can always add more. So I mean, I'm going to try and get yeah. my mix better as we go. Yeah, but but no matter what, though, I do feel that all three of these beers that we have poured, no, no matter what we do, is not going to get near to that robustness that a porter has. Oh, yeah, and, and historically not going to touch it Yeah. Um, at all. No, but, but at least what I expect from a porter, no matter what I do it's not gonna fully get there because there, I'm not there are the one thing that uh, Porter has that's different than this is that robust roastiness and none of these three styles have that I mean the Browns got a little let's a, actually a little let's bit. try it individually well, yeah but 
why don't we actually end with the pale because that's actually the most bitter of the three. Sure, sure. Um, I'm just saying. I want to try the brown first. Cool. If you need a little bit more in there, go ahead. We poured yeah. ourselves individual ones just so we could know what we're talking about. Yeah, here. With um. Oh, that's the taddy. Where do? Oh, oh there, I got it. There right it is. Here. I'm thinking because I'm thinking of putting a little just because I like this one so much. <laughs> it's a good go-to. Okay, this is lighter than I expected. Oh yeah, it's a light beer. It's it's not. I would have added more. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it tastes like um. More like a crystal malt with those like caramel. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a almost like a sweet amber. The car the caramel notes pop you right there. I mean, it, it's a sweet it's a sweet beer too. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost get a almost like a tinge of banana in there too. I can see that. A little tinge of banana, yeah. Good good go to beer for for me when it, when I just want to hang out with my brother, you know. <laughs> now now I want the old ale. Uh, I've had that one so many times. I love it. Just a good good classic. Oh, when we get to old ale, I need to make sure I can get arranged for an import. I'm sure you can. It can't be like the old days. A little f fun fact about my 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 grandpa uh, Roy up in heaven somewhere, you know. Uh, died when I was uh, in eighth grade. Great man. He hated the American beers that were all out there, you know, like, I, I mean, especially in like the 80s, it was, it was the era where it was like, in the Midwest, it was all Schlitz hams, you know, not knocking on those because I drink those too. <laughs> but he didn't like them? He hated those beers. What did beers he like? Because his, his mom was from Germany. Oh, so, he knew. So he knew and grew up with good beer. So uh -huh. he actually had a beer catalog that you would order order beer by mail. They didn't check your ID back then. What? Yeah. I didn't know you could do that. I didn't either until my dad told me the stories. What? And, and, and my dad was hilarious because one of my favorite styles of beer is a Bach beer. Yeah. Uh, my grandpa would order that so that way he could have a beer with uh, with my dad and uh, my uh, my dad's brother, uh, Uncle Kurt, and my dad and my dad, whose favorite beer is Corona. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> His favorite beer is Corona. He would he would go. I thought it was great and touching that my that my dad brought in this. This beer from Ger this beer from Germany, you know, I, I think it was the pa the Palanar uh, Salvatore, and and my dad was like, I had a great time. He goes, but man, was I trying to keep that beer down. <laughs> and it's funny because on the opposite end, it's like he he didn't get those uh, German jeans. I guess I got all of them. <laughs> me me and my siblings love craft beer so much, and here's my dad like, now nah, stick with a Corona. <laughs> Oh, uh, just, I, just, 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 just a fun story about my family. I like and, it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any uh, German blood. Mm. Nope. What do you have? Irish. Oh, I, we got some Irish too. <laughs> I, my, Irish, a uh, very Swedish. Uh, ac actually, in April, I'm gonna go uh, see a bunch of uh, relatives out there who I've never met before. I'm in really Sweden? in Sweden. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, this trip has been postponed a bunch of times because because of COVID, and then I was actually supposed to go with my then girlfriend, and we split up, and and I needed money to start my life up, and and all that. But yeah, so so many of them out there, uh, they actually are probably gonna listen to this. So that makes sense because of your last name. 
Yeah, Lindquist. My mom's maiden name actually was Swedish too. Uh, Sjöstrand, S-J-O. Nice. Tr- traditionally with the two dots above it. Strand, nice. yeah. Nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my my family is not from that far away from Chicago. By the way, yeah. uh, my family settled in Galena, Illinois. That's where my brother, M- Mark, he got married in Galena at, in Chestnut, Galena? at Chestnut Mountain Resort. We used to go to, uh, my, my grandma had a lake house uh, in Apple Canyon Lake, which is just a short drive from Galena. We'd go into Galena all the time. I know exactly where know that the, is. Do you know the history of Galena? I know it was big with the Civil War. <laughs> so Ulysses S. Grant yeah. is from Galena. Yeah. Yeah, his house is there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the story in my family goes that I mean, obviously if you if you go through the history of it, Ulysses S. Grant was a very good general and so much so that Abraham Lincoln uh, wanted every other general to be as good as Ulysses yeah. S. Grant. And he was also known as a drunk. Oh yeah. So there's there's a quote that's been passed along as like Abraham Lincoln wanted to find out what Grant was drinking so that he could give it to his other generals so that they could <laughs> match Grant. <laughs> but he um, he passed out in my great-great-grandparents' backyard. That's awesome. And so they, they took him in for the night. And I, can, I found the house finally so I could show you the house. There's a oh big there's a big park in the middle that oh, has like the cannon please, and everything. Please do. Yeah. So oh, they've got a bunch of Civil War monuments in this park in the like center of town. Yeah, I, I know exactly which one you're talking about. Okay, if you look down the hill, that's my grandparents' house. Oh, that's awesome. Well, great, great. But that's where they mm. were. And they they actually are part of a, a program to bring back the history of Galena. Because oh, they owned a coal company. It was oh. Slattery's. <laughs> and I've been talking to a couple of historians, and I was like, "When okay, when you make a model of the town and kind of collect all these things in, you know, a museum, when you're ready there, like, please let me know, and I'll give you what we have historically from our family, like the details that we have. <laughs> I can't wait. It hasn't happened yet, but I'm ready. <laughs> that sounds so cool. And definitely, definitely let me know too. I know I'm going to be back in the Galena area at some point. You know? So, and, and by the way, a lot of those towns around there are half Irish, half German. I could see that. Actually. Because they work really so. well together. <laughs> and, with that, and with alcohol. <laughs> you know, I'll just say it. I'll just say it. So, so the. The line that I was given was, well, yeah, it works because the Germans are always looking for a party and the Irish always know where it's at. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) So I thought I thought that was funny. Oh, okay. So I, I will say with my mixture, I overestimated the powers of the nut brown and the old ale i do want like more alcohol and barrel character from the old ale yeah and i thought it was gonna have it so i just did a little bit no old old ales surprisingly are not as strong as people think i've had some that were stronger but like this guy's definitely not well it might be because i've had this one a bunch of times so i know what i'm getting into okay i'm getting closer try this again 
All right. Oh, d- what did you pour in? More nut brown and more old ale. So basically what I did. <laughs> Is that what you did too? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> of all three, I poured... See, you poured the most of the bass and I poured the least of the bass in. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't expecting the bass. That tastes about identical to mine now. Does it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't expecting the bass to be as powerful with the malt as it is. Yeah. Did you try the bass by itself yet? No. I, w- I would actually recommend putting a bit more in here because if this guy's a bit... You do not want this yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's plenty of bass. I'm just saying put a bit more in there so that way it's not... Uh, oh, yeah. Because uh, this is not one you want to drink warmer. A porter? Yeah, sure, but... Not this one. That bass is one you want served cold, colder. Yeah. So, so the bass triangle is what is famous in Burton on Trent. It was everywhere, all over the town, until the town got remodeled. Mm-hmm. They put in, put in a bunch of uh, malls where the breweries were. Oh, it's sad. It's coming back. Okay. It's coming back, but like it's so it's a red triangle. Is their logo. And that was like on town hall and all over the place because I'm sure they helped finance, you know, the the city. Oh, I'll have to tell you a story about that later too. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's nice. Like I said, um, so I should I should describe this. It's a pale ale. And I'm sure a lot of people are picturing a very light yellow or gold. And this is more of an orange, mm-hmm. light, light amber. It, if you were to put it, it can actually, I mean, it's nothing like the style. The color is almost identical to an Oktoberfest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so malty. And I'm excited yeah. to try the version that's hopped. <laughs> because yeah. that could be yeah. killer. Yeah, the the hopped version. Yeah, absolutely. I'm. It, it's just it's just not my personal preference. Bass. I could see where though they would try and mix that to make a uh, porter. And and I will say, bass has changed. By the way, from what it was. Yeah. It got bought out. Oh. So it's the recipe. Is definitely different from when it had its heyday. Yeah, we'll say. Yeah, that unfortunately that happens sometimes. That is how. Know? Yeah, that's that's what happens. But I I really wanted to do this experience. Yeah, <laughs> to see how close we could get. I see where if, if it's someone who doesn't know beer, you could get away with it. Sure. I, I think, but only someone who knows beer like you and I could definitely tell the difference. Big time. Um, it's not roasty enough. No, you need you need the roastiness, and none of the three beers that we used, there 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 might be an English ale out, an old English ale out there, that has that roastiness character that might make it more, like more similar, but uh, Great Divides Old English just it, it isn't. It's actually it's a very balanced beer with no roastiness whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, yep. I like I do like it though. It's one of my good go-tos in the winter time. Oh, I'm I mean, I'm enjoying it. And in the mix, I like the mix even more. Definitely like it more. I do like the mix too. I with all three mix, I do have a soft spot for the nut brown though. I do like that. I know if 
if you don't like your beer sweeter, then you might not like it as much because it's definitely right. on the sweeter end. And right. And some of those English styles are a little sweet for me. Yeah. Where I'm like, uh, I mean, I it's it's definitely a yeast characteristic for, for those <laughs> yeah. ales. Yeah. But I would prefer mm. some more barrel and bitter to balance it out. I was gonna say, especially, especially when you're talking about barrel, getting some of those notes in there, you know. God, <laughs> it's some people hate. Some people hate that. I'm like, no, give me all. Of that. Yeah, yeah, I, so, I'm into it. Cool. So what we moving on to? Okay, so let's now. go past the myth. All right, past so we, the myth. We so we went into the myth. Myth. It, it could pass. Now, now, what actually happened? That we have more evidence for is that the first mention of the word porter in reference to beer is in 1721. So before that we do have a couple mentions of entire butt beer or just butt beer or entire beer and that is spelled every which way that you can imagine. By the way. <laughs> That's why it's so messy as you get into the history is <laughs> there was no this is how you spell it. Uh. So what? why were they calling it that? Okay, so entire, what they're referencing is when they're doing the mash and they're pulling the wort, so the liquid with all of the nutrients to feed the yeast from putting all the barley in a, a boil soak when they're pulling off of that, they would do three different pulls, at least. Could be like up to five. So the first pull that you do off the, pulling the liquid off of that malt is gonna be the one that has the most nutrients in there. And then you do it again, weaker, 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 weaker. So when they say entire, they're saying we used, we took all of those pulls of the wart and we put them back together and we used all of it in one. Because what they were doing previous to this is the first pole would make this type of beer, second pole would make this type of beer, third pole is gonna make this type of beer. So like weakest, I, if I'm on point, was called table beer. It's yeah. for everybody to drink all the time. Mm -hmm. You're thirsty, here you go. This is not gonna mess you up, you can keep working and also you can be eh, slightly hydrated yeah. you know and it's safe because it's it was boiled yeah and you're not gonna get a disease from the water <laughs> by the way <laughs> butt beer so why was it called butt so they're storing it in these casks that they're calling a butt <laughs> this sounds like a beavis and butthead sketch right now <laughs> check it out this is called a butt beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> but anyway, me and my juvenile antics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, less fun when explained, but but still. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, originally, what we have uh, that leads to the porter is. A beer we have a brown beer so 
we're using a brown malt to um, to make the wort. And the brown malt was popular because it's really cheap. Mm. Because it's really easy to malt. Yeah. So what they're doing is they're malting it for like five minutes at a really high temperature. I, I don't remember the exact time. So let's say like five minutes compared to an hour. Oh, yeah. So five minutes, really high temperature. You burn some of it. Some of it's just brown. Some of it's just, you know, a little darker. You don't really have to put a whole lot of effort into controlling the temperature. You can use straw or peat or whatever wood washes up on shore to roast this malt. So it's it's going to be a random temperature and it could burn really hot or not quite as hot but they're going to get it brown and in that way they're going to kill a lot of the starch and the enzymes we need to cut the starch down and make so alcohol. that the yeast, <laughs> so that the yeast can eat it. So the yeast doesn't have a whole lot of food from the brown malt. But they didn't necessarily realize this because they couldn't measure what's coming out. They could, so what they did do is they would fill a barrel with water and they would fill one with wort to try and compare like which one's heavier to get an idea of, you know, how much is, how much are we getting out of this malt? Um, But they didn't have a way to measure it yet in the 1720s we're talking yeah. about. No gravity readings or anything like that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so they they are aware that it's fermenting differently when they use this malt, but they're not aware exactly how lacking it is. And this also means that when they ferment it, you're getting a lot less bubbling and activity. So... Yeah. As the yeast is, you're having all these chemical reactions and the yeast is eating all of the sugar and everything. If you're doing a lighter malt, you're going to get more activity out of the yeast because they have more food. And so it's going to bubble up and foam out of the top of your fermenter, right? But if they have less food, then fermentation is going to be less active and it's not going to bubble as much out of your fermenter. That also means that it's not going to get as hot. So it's going to stay cooler in your fermenter. And that's relevant because they can't cool anything, like we said. Yeah. There's no refrigeration, which means that they can't brew in the summer when it's too hot. The beer is going to go bad. But if you've got a beer that's not fermenting as hot... Uh, yeah, then you can cellar it. You can brew it a little bit longer into the summer than you can your paler stuff. Exactly. So this is a big deal, especially since they're taxed on the malt that they're using. So they're going to use the cheapest malt, mm-hmm. save some money there. They can brew an extra two months by the way save some money there so like to give you an example um if we're talking about brewing a pale ale they're gonna brew let's see they're gonna brew from 
October to May. For porter, they could brew from September to June. I also or wanted, maybe I maybe I have that a little backwards, but I also wanted to bring up too when you mentioned when we did our mixes how you put more pale ale in, and you're like, mine's got a little bit more head when you were referring to that yes. it goes over. Yes. That's exactly why. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So so yeah, so they've got an extra two months here. They're brewing they're starting in September and they're going into June. With the pale ale, they can't go past May. And even May is sketchy. In yeah. you know, in the English climate. So that's that's a big deal. Um, on top of that, because this brown malt also lent like smoke characteristics and burnt characteristics to the beer they realized that if they put it in a giant like vat or if they i I guess if they put it in a butt in general and they aged it in these casks that a lot of those characteristics would mellow out Mm. so bye bye ash taste bye bye burn taste it's going to settle down. And they can do that from a few months to like, I think somebody did it for up to two years. And when really? I was reading, which is a little crazy. That sounds, uh, it's for, a little I'm crazy. saying for that low of an alcohol content, it sounds pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. But they did, they did hop it quite a lot. Okay. So, so more preservatives. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, they, in the beginning of this brewing this style, obviously the casks were not that big, right? Yeah. But as we start heading into the Industrial Revolution, coopers figure out how to cooper these giant casks. Like, we're, we're talking huge, as in 200 people, they tested yeah. this, 200 people could go into this Oh my god. This giant barrel and eat a meal. Wooden barrels, right? Wooden barrel. I thought the food or forest in New Belgium was huge. Right? Good God. Right? That's crazy. It's insane. So so we're talking Oh man, did they take pictures of this? They drew Oh, so they they got artists. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I when the when this podcast is over, I am looking at pictures. It's so so we're talking by the way Alex yeah. we're talking 20,000 barrels. Oh my god. In one. Do they do these still exist? I don't think so. Oh. <laughs> that would have been so cool to see. So the biggest one that I'm thinking of um that one definitely does not exist anymore. It's a theater now. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um but, but I mean that's huge. So big. So they're just brewing batch after batch after batch and putting it in there and then aging it. And that means that they have the volume to make this more than just a microbrew type yeah. thing. You can do a macro brew with beer that is in barrels, not not like steel vats or whatever. But Yeah, like... so, so let me put this into perspective for people. So the keg, the giant keg that you are picturing that was at the kegger, that you know your buddy through that is a half barrel mm-hmm. okay so your typical smaller brewery is not quite gonna hit 2,000 barrels a year no 
So two, 20,000 in one, one. <laughs> you could get 20,000 of your buddies to do a keg stand. Oh God, they, I mean. That's how big I don't we're think, talking. I don't think 20,000 people could do a barrel each. No, so, like, no they couldn't. I, I just said you could lay out 20,000 of these kegs and just have people stand in there. Jeez, like, yeah. Like it's huge. It's it's an unfathomable number, pretty much. So so when I'm specifically like the this is the biggest one is the twenty thousand. Yeah. And that's in 1790. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but Mew Reed. Or Mo Reed. M E U X. It could be Mo. I'm, I'm just thinking the E U X. That's like a French. Uh, he could have been French, but he's yeah. He was in London at the time. So we referenced a flood. We referenced a flood, yeah. And <laughs> so I'm going to tell you about this like giant barrel. Uh, this giant barrel that uh, Mo Reed. I, I like Mo. I think that's a better Mo? way to say it. Okay. So <laughs> on Monday, October seventeenth, in eighteen fourteen, one of these giant barrels from. The brewer I just said, Mo Reed, in Horseshoe. It was called Horseshoe Brewery in um, St. Giles, London. <laughs> it uh, one of the like metal rings around the outside. Uh, it kind of fell off, and the foreman saw it in the morning, and he made a note of it and was like, "I'm gonna go tell the cooper later that he's gotta fix this." Well, uh, it burst, and it was so powerful that it it blew off the back wall of the brewery and also hit several other of these giant vessels, and we had a 22-foot high... Oh, I guess that that's the size of the fermentation tank. Yeah, it's 22 yeah, it's feet 22, 22 feet high. But I know that the wave of porter was like 15 feet high yes coming down through well, got, the village we got 3500 barrels that's 7000 kegs of beer jeez <laughs> 7000 yeah 7000 kegs of beer coming out through like a brown tsunami yep you know pretty much just just taking everything everything out with it you know i i, I mean i don't think like oh it's the water's just sitting there it destroyed these buildings that were oh, so yeah. but these buildings are where a lot of the uh, poor impoverished were these were made out of what they could find they were so flimsy this is not a rich area of london no no it's not we're, we're, we're talking think think like dickens everyone's miserable type london well at least it's a little cooler it's october but um but yeah, so a uh, mother and daughter who were drinking tea when the flood hit, both killed. Uh, basement of another house, there was an Irish wake being held for a two-year-old boy who had passed away the previous day. All four mourners killed. That's a... T- could, she, she's scrolling down. Uh, she's scrolling down right now as we're looking at this. And there's a 19th century engraving. And as it's showing people like drowning and all this, one guy is floating in a barrel and he's holding a mug of beer. That's terrible. <laughs> I mean, 
that's terrible, but at the same time hilarious. It, I mean, it almost seems like a meme or something from back then. <laughs> that, 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 that just caught like my that eye. That actually mean. That, that just caught my eye, and I just think that's hilarious. There, there's a dog surfing on a plank, too. Yep. This, this is an engraving of the event, and it's this giant cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> and so there was also a pub called Tavistock Arms, and there's barmaid in there, and she was trapped under the rubble, too. Um, three brewery workers were rescued from waist-high floodwaters, and... Um, another was pulled out from the rubble. Uh, but obviously this left a huge mess. Uh, but people had free beer sitting in the streets. So they took out their mugs and they filled them. And Mm. there's record of one more person dying of alcohol poisoning (laughs) days later because he saved a bunch of this and he drank too much. Too much free beer. Man, this... This is like that Simpsons episode when Homer reminisces about his best day when the when the Duff beer truck crashes and <laughs> and he's dancing in the beer. So so the Times writes on the 19th of October, so two days later in 1814, mm-hmm. the bursting of the brew house walls and the fall of the heavy timber materially contributed to the aggravate that to aggravate the mischief by forcing the roofs and walls of adjoining mm-hmm. houses. Oh, geez. Wow. <laughs> um, and, and yes, yes, people did try to sue the brewery, by the way. And uh, they tried to bring the corpses of the victims uh, to exempt, like, use them to get money. They were just ahead of their time. You know, you know those bodies exhibits now that museums do? Yeah. That, this is just the original version of that. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how much damage was there? Well, in today's terms, it's about 1.25 million. Uh, pounds. Uh, that's it. That's British pounds. Yes. Which actually would be more in United States dollars. At the moment, but yeah. not... Well, not back, but like, at the moment. if I'm, ju- I'm just doing exchange rates. <laughs> but it changes constantly, so I'm... Yeah. yeah I, w- I wouldn't even bother. Okay. Um, because they'd have to do that exchange rate from back then to today's dollar instead of that exchange rate of the pound to the pound today. That's true. Yeah. It's, so, so they lost... It's a lot. They lost a lot. And uh, they did get compensation for the barrels of lost beer from the government. Uh, but I, they were not insured for all of it. Uh, of course. At Dogfish Head... Uh, they actually have a fermentation tank made out of Palo Santo. They use it for their Palo Santo Marone beer. It's so good. It's mm. really good. You, you know how some people like to burn Palo Santo for that incense smell, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Imagine that, like, cinnamon-like quality in a beer. I mean, I would drink it's it. It's really good. It's, it's, it's such a great beer. But, th- but they, have, they have this uh, tank sealed off... Uh, in this like airtight space, you know that that if CO two leaks or whatever, that they, they have alarms going off or whatever, you know. I mean, that's how careful they are with with giant tanks like that nowadays. Which, like, people have definitely died. A lot of people have died from breathing in CO two or falling into a fermenter yeah, full of CO two. Yeah, you don't make it. 
it doesn't go well. In fact, I, re- I was reading one story of a brewer climbing in after his worker who had gone in, and they both Oh, no. They both died. I feel bad, but that was not a smart I mean, move. I mean... To, to say, no, it's like if you, if you fall in a fermenter and you're... Because the CO2 just, like, sinks, you know? It's like you're just... <laughs> yeah, it, so it's at the bottom yeah. there, and when you fall in, you're at the highest levels, even if the door yeah. is open, and it's yeah. not going to dissipate no. because it's not coming through the through top. top. No. Not very much. Like, if it's under pressure, sure, but uh, you also don't always have those doors at the bottom. Yeah. Which would be, like, the only safe Safely. way to maybe get you out. Yeah, if that. Oh, man. If that, yeah. <laughs> so, so we don't we don't mess around yeah. with CO2. No. That, uh, at Dogfish Head, they very much strictly told us that. They're like... They're like if that alarm. They're like if that alarm goes off, you hold your breath and you get the f out of there right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, CO two, carbon dioxide. I should add. Yeah, yeah. We we breathe it out, not in. Right. It, does, it doesn't <laughs> go well when we do it wrong. Yeah. Uh, it, just, it just hit me. I sh- because because of what the actual definition of a bunghole is when we were talking about the butts <laughs> the a beer i could have made a bunghole joke too <laughs> <laughs> you should say what a bung what a bung is <laughs> a bung is it, it's it's what when you're talking about a bunghole that's like the spout at the bottom of a barrel when you're going to tap out a beer yes <laughs> yeah, a lot like when you see in old timey movies or whatever. When uh, instead, because you know how today we have draft systems. Back then, they would just have the barrel just like lodged sideways or whatever in in the bar, and and that spout, uh, the base of that spout is called the bung, and the hole of what it was used for is called the hole. So it's a bung hole. So the Beavis and Butthead joke, bung hole, you know. Uh, <laughs> Or whatever. That's where, that's where it comes from. So when we're talking about butts of beer, I'm like, oh, I could have made a bunghole joke right there. Totally wasted opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I should get back to the history. After we're not talking about the flood anymore. So the flood happened, uh, but right after that, uh, we're hitting this level with Porter where it's being exported all over, everywhere the British go. So does the porter, because the navy is gonna revolt if yeah, you don't yeah. feed them. Yes, with some beer, they're gonna lose their minds. They already are being pushed into, you know, they they don't they don't want to be in the navy. A lot of them no. were were criminals who were given the option of losing their lives or going to jail or be in the navy. In World War Two, my grandpa was in the navy, and and he, he said it was very lonely out there. <laughs> So so beer beer is kind of important to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we're exporting something at this volume that we're talking about where they can send out thousands and thousands of barrels on these ships, first of all, when when they first started sending it out, it was very cheap because the ships wanted weighted things to help with the balance of the ship. So they're not charging very much for these barrels. Because they're they're helping with their balance, yeah. and on top of that, there's so much extra that can go around the world, and people are enjoying it in these other countries. Ireland's enjoying mm-hmm. it. Ireland gets it right away. Yeah, you of know, course. like it's being shipped to the U.S. U.S. is enjoying mm-hmm. it. Like I said earlier, George Washington loved this beer, and 
and got thousands of gallons shipped in. Mm-hmm. Um, he also supported local breweries after, you know, they got pissed off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at the UK. Yeah. They're, they're like, ah, oh, we can make this here at home, you know. We It'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's that's one of the reasons King George kept saying, you'll be back. <laughs> but yeah. So Anyone this, who's seen um, uh, Hamilton. This stuff is making it everywhere. Mm. Everywhere. Especially those colder climates where it's much more enjoyed than, you mm. know, the hotter stuff. Yeah. So, like, I'll give you an example. In the U.S., uh, the first... Brewer actually was in like 1760. First brewer to try and brew porter. Really? It didn't go that great. Mm. <laughs> he didn't. I, I mean, he had a couple guys brewing who didn't necessarily know what they were doing. Yeah. I mean, especially with something like porter. One of them supposedly worked at a brewery in Edinburgh. So, eh. <laughs> did, did he know porter? Eh. Yeah, brewing scotch maybe but <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um Just... but yeah so so mm. it's making it everywhere and we're bringing money back home so mm. we're fueling all of these innovations that are coming right um i should also add that the water in the uk around london is uh, very anyone? chalky so if you think of the White Cliffs of Dover, I don't know if you've ever seen them. No. I have. And they're... Oh, you've been there? They're they're very white. Yeah. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're pretty cool. Just going um, to that out. But that is chalk, right? Yeah. So that, that same chalk is in a lot of the country, and it's coming into those wells that are feeding London. Mm. So that means that the water that they're using to brew in London is high in carbonates. Oh, perfect. Which is perfect. Yes. For a dark beer. beer. Yes. Yep. It's it's going really well. Um so they have all these ingredients to really make this mm. the first big boom mm. of beer, like worldwide yeah. boom. Yes. You can brew it on a macro scale that can exactly. go that can go and back then shipping things overseas took a lot longer than they do now but also we're hitting we're heading towards a time where the country is going to be really connected via roads railway and steam engine yeah. yeah transcontinental railroad yeah so they're they're in a unique situation where they start funding this industrial revolution which is definitely centered in the uk and london um but also as these new innovations for brewing come up they start to realize like when they get the first saccharometer which is measuring those sugars saccharide sugar so they realize that this malt that they're using is really low in sugars. It's weak, yeah. It's really it's not, weak. It's not doing much for the yeast. And and they're really uh, not getting the money's worth that they thought they were. So that's that's a thing that like starts is the first strike against Porter, and we're heading towards like yeah the style they, not being as popular. popular. Yeah. 
not as efficient either. It's not you know? efficient at no. all. No. E- even if the grain is cheaper, if you're not making beer with it, well, it, it, you're not getting the alcohol you need from it, the carbonation too, because back... One, one big thing I actually wanted to add on to that is that uh, nowadays so many breweries can easily just pump CO2 into a beer. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I mean, even microbreweries do that because it's easy. You, ju- you just get a canister of CO2 and just be like, all right, we'll just put it in the beer and well, voila, half, it's half carbonated. Half of them have lines yeah. throughout the building where I can oh, just yeah. hook up CO2 it's and easy. pump it right in. Pump it right in, boom, piece of cake. But back then you needed the CO2 from... Uh, the from the yeast yes you needed that and as we like to say on the tours when i went to dogfish head uh the yeast uh they like to eat they um uh, eat that uh sugar and they they fart out the co2 and they pee out the alcohol (laughs) (laughs) tasteful yeah But, hey, but it, yeah. hey, it got laughs, you know. It, it, it was corny, but it got laughs. But yeah, but, so, they, but anyway. so they do. Um, but a lot of brewers at that time, in the early days of Porter, when they were brewing these other beers, they the yeast would fall out of suspension. Mm. So they would have to open the tank up and stir okay, it up with a yeah. paddle. And so they're letting in oxygen. Yeah. Yep. Ox- oxygen makes your beer bad. It doesn't do good things. But you're also stopping the anaerobic process mm. with the yeast just, yeah. because it had, they had just filled the whole tank with CO2 and mm. then you open the tank, you know? So you're, you've messed it up already. Um, but Porter, Porter was a little easier to keep in solution. So <laughs> as they... As they figure out that um, they can do better and that they really want these paler malts because they're a better bang for your buck. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, making more beer, getting the alcohol, getting the carbonation, less technical difficulties. Right. Um, so they start using more pale malt. Mm-hmm. And that really, for the porter, by the way. So yeah. it was all brown malt. Right? The burnt mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and as they realize that it's not, they use more pale malt. And that's specifically fueled in 1817 by Daniel Wheeler, um, who patented a way to roast malt at 400 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 204 degrees mm-hmm. Celsius yeah. to make this really dark, rich malt that we call patent malt or chocolate malt. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful, like, same throughout dark chocolatey color and it still contributes those roasty notes um but if you only use a little bit of it and then you use majority pale malt then you get the flavor plus the fuel for the yeast what's cool about that chocolate malt too if you ever visit a brewery sometimes they'll let you like try the malt or whatever that chocolate malt actually tastes like cocoa Oh, actually, it's, I, it's I have really some cool. here. You do? Yeah, from cool. High Hops. Nice, yeah. <laughs> and and it's, it, it's true, and it does wonders for dark beer. It, yes. it, it really does. I mean, every dark beer should have this malt. <laughs> I mean, you can do it with some of the other malts that we have now, um, but this one creates, yeah. like, the this is the darkest. It's a, and, I mean, it's still used today very widely. 
Yes, but they still, but they only use a little bit. It's for color. It's for character. character. It's not for fuel because you killed killed most of the barley. It can't contribute any of those starches for the yeast to eat. And it can't, it can't give you any of, yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, it is the enzymes a, either. I mean, I you you would almost use it. I mean, not in a way to like herb the beer, but you almost use this malt as you would use a hop, but during the bo- but during the mash and the boil, sure, you know, because sure. it, it is for the color and flavor. Now, now I should I should clarify that um, Mr. Harwood, by the way, who mm-hmm. who was in our myth, he was a real brewer, and he did use half brown malt and like half pale malt so there were brewers who were using not just brown malt but brown malt was the majority yeah like majority of porter brewers using just brown malt and that's from the recipes that we can look back on that were recorded right yeah so so uh, the the porters that we're drinking right now not made from brown malt. Not not made from brown malt. No, and they're made from one of these darker malts with majority pale. Yeah. So yeah. so that creates a problem here for people who are used to the flavor from just brown malt. Yeah. Because it's not the same. Exactly. And this is why the history is so muddy behind it too. The a porter we're drinking today probably didn't taste the same back then. Oh, definitely didn't taste the same. Definitely not. So yeah. what what people would do to try and copy that taste after the the change in malt, they would add things like burnt sugar and licorice and okay. like whatever else to to try yeah, yeah. to try and recreate yes that that old recipe. Well, know? they also wanted the darker color. They wanted it to be oh, yeah. the same as it was. Well, it is. Like, I mean, I know a different style, but one thing that really threw me off, but it's weird because it tasted like one, was the first time I ever tried a white stout. Oh. Like, I, I, it, it pours out and it looks like a pale ale, pretty much. I, I mean, I mean, this thing is a light looking beer. And then I'm sipping it. I'm like, how is this roasty and it was a it had a pretty thick body too like because mm. it might be a psychological thing if i were to do a blind taste test i would have uh, drank it and be like yeah that's a stout but because of that color it's like i do want my i sublimate uh psychologically just want those uh, stouts to be dark you know like a porter like that dark beer when you want a porter or a stout, you want it to be dark. So And so that's the same thing that's going on with people in at this time. So we're talking like early eighteen hundreds. Yeah. Leading into like eighteen fifties. There as this malt change happens, they're looking at it and being like, Why doesn't it look like it was? I don't know if I want that beer. I don't exactly. know Exactly. Like, same here. Yeah. Yeah. Why I I don't know if I want to drink that. Who made this? I mean, appearance is a bit, it's a big deal when it it comes to beer. I mean, I will say that they're only seeing, in general at this time, they're only seeing their mug from the top because most of the mugs are pewter or uh, plaster, you know? Yeah. So they're not getting the full glass experience that we are, where I see all of it. We can see it. They see foam. 
at the, the top. Right, right. And, I mean, we're, as we go through the Industrial Revolution, yes, glass got cheaper and pubs actually had it. Yep. But at the beginning of this style, definitely not. Oh, I realized I didn't talk about the name. <laughs> so how, how did we get from calling it butt beer to calling it porter? Well, these, these brewers would, em, would employ porters to send their beer around. For those of you in the United States not overseas, a porter is uh, pretty much uh, a UPS worker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they carried everything yeah. from letters to stuff off the ships. We're like this is a whole guild of people at the beginning of this story. Yeah. So you you've got hundreds of these people, usually guys in London running around just being the messenger of people or or like porting stuff as yeah. the verb porting stuff along with them. So when they came to a new pub and they brought the beer, they would yell, Porter! Yep. So the theory is that either it was because they announced themselves that we called it Porter, or because it was also really, really popular amongst them. Uh, the story that I heard was they didn't have time to drink anything. Yeah. I don't think that one's true. No, because anyone working hard back in the day, they got something to drink. <laughs> and also, like it's not like they decided what the brewers were brewing. This is no. this is not a wealthy class of people, you know, like. They're, no, no, the, 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 these were blue collar workers, and they were hustling. Yeah, they they, they were hustling. I, I mean, back. I mean, today we have. We have all the technology to where your mailman can drive around in the truck, you know, and, and just deliver your mail and packages. We got Amazon. Back then, they were, they were hauling it themselves, too. You know, you didn't have just haulers. They were hauling it. They were moving it. They were aching their bones just getting stuff from point A to point B. And I mean, what are you going to drink? Are you going to drink the, a beer that looks maybe heartier because it's dark? Yeah. Or are you going to drink a light beer? Exactly. It's like when you're working hard and you want some uh, liquid lunch, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, that's obviously, I'm projecting a little bit. I don't know exactly what they were thinking because we don't have records. I'm just trying to think of it in terms of like older beer too because uh, very different style of beer, but you should definitely do this tour if you ever go to Milwaukee, the old Pabst tour. Oh, really? Yes, it was actually, it was required for the workers to have a beer every four hours. <laughs> because they're working hard, they're working in these grueling conditions and all that, and and uh, Pabst back then was actually hardier than it is now. I, I've, I got to, act, what's cool, they actually have the original recipe of uh, the PBR, what it was. It was. It was more similar to an amber, actually. Than it is now. It. it was really good. I, I I actually loved it. So it was worthy of a blue ribbon. It did win. The, it, well, it won the it won the gold medal actually, <laughs> not the blue ribbon. That's what that's just what they called it. But it did win the gold medal. At I, the, I know it yeah. wasn't a competition. Yeah. But yeah. But you like the original <laughs> yeah. did taste like. Yeah, and and uh, the tour guide was talking about how hard these people worked, and they wanted 
that beer. And so I can imagine being in their shoes, you know, thinking I've been working hard. I need a big beer that's filling on my stomach. And I could easily see where the porters with how they're hauling stuff around and working hard, sweating in the summer or freezing in the winter would want that. Now, I will say that's not to say that the upper classes didn't enjoy it, too, because they did. Oh, yeah. And like, even if you read Jane Austen, by the way, Mm. I think it's in Sense and Sensibility. Her hero is drinking porter. This is (laughs) this is a wealthy man. Mm. Who's drinking porter? Porter, This is not just for the lower classes. And our records that we have written obviously are are mostly the educated, more well off classes. And if they're talking about porter, then clearly it's not just for the layman. You know? Yeah. (laughs) No, I could see that. I mean, if I was rich or poor, I'd want to have a porter, you know? Right. Just somewhere in the middle right now. But yeah, okay, so we should talk about the decline now. So, um, before we talk about the decline, we're going, I was going to, no, I was going to say, uh, quick break. We'll have a commercial break right now because I got to skip to my loo. So, (laughs) (laughs) we'll be right back. Okay, so we're giving ourselves another beer. Mm-hmm. This one is American Porter. I actually first tried this uh, uh, when uh, both of us worked, well, when Lauren worked at uh, High Hops. <laughs> a coworker of ours, Michelle, uh, brought this guy in. Oh, okay, so this is Peanut Butter Milk Stout by yeah. Belching Beaver Brewery. Wait, this isn't a porter? Oh my gosh, it's not. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> well, 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 you'll have to save that for the... Do you have a porter? And we just got back from the liquor store. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this time we have a, we a have porter. An actual porter this time. Uh, one that uh, I actually recommended uh, from a local brewery here in Fort Collins. Uh, they're called Max Line. Just a, just a little guys off of Drake and College there. It's a good go-to. Uh, we've got a coffee, a coffee porter. Which I'm definitely excited about. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is because with the Belching Beaver, that's a peanut butter stout. There's so many peanut butter porters. That's probably why we uh, thought that's what it was. But whereas we're seeing coffee porter, I'm sure a lot of you have seen this. You might think of a coffee stout. So in a way, we're kind of the beers that we got kind of reversed uh, the flavors that you would add to the style. Sure, sure, in a way. Yeah, uh, I I was thinking of Liquid Mechanics Peanut Butter Porter, which I did look for and did not find. Yeah, and I was was looking for Denver Beer Company's um, uh, Graham Crackers. We didn't have that. And that one's a good one, too. Mm -hmm. They're solid. That's definitely something I would would order 
over oh, yeah. a lot of other beers. No, it, it's really good because uh, with so many coffee-flavored beers, a lot of times the coffee overpowers everything. The coffee is way more subtle. It actually helps with uh, the bitterness, the slight bitterness that you would get from a standard porter, but it also adds to that robustness that you want as well. But it's not nearly as bitter as a typical stout. Whereas you, you see so many coffee stouts out there, but a lot of times this coffee will just make the stout more bitter. So coffee is actually a great ingredient to add if you're going to flavor a porter. I mean, I've had plenty of coffee stouts too. And this one is much darker than any yeah. of our, oh, um, yes. our normal beers. But I'm holding it under... I cannot see I, through it. I'm saying I'm, I am holding it underneath a light bulb. At the bottom of the glass... I it's don't a you, little amber. You got that little tinge of amber. You will not get that in a stout. But I can't see through it. So no. it's definitely not but um, it, typical. Not typical. This, this is it, yeah. it's, it's a smaller brewery, probably not filtered, and if you're gonna put coffee grounds in it, that's gonna darken your beer automatically. Right. So so this is where we get sketchy with like, is it a porter? Is it yeah. a stout? <laughs> because we're blurring the lines right here, especially when we're adding adjuncts like coffee. Mm. It gets tricky. Um, but how did we get to an American? style beer like the an, an american style porter adjuncted porter like this yeah <laughs> i okay how did we get there lauren <laughs> so all right stout was a word that was used as an adjective for multiple beer styles including porter stout just meant more so we're talking more malt more hops or more alcohol when we're saying stout historically it was used for a number of those meanings it just meant more a stout porter or a stout ale or a stout pale ale you know we're, we're talking more it's it's stouter it's bigger <laughs> yeah right um a so and a stout usually has more alcohol in it too yeah, so that's not how it was used always. It ah. didn't always mean more alcohol. Okay. Yeah, I found as I was going through these recipes in, in several different books, which, by the way, I'm going to list um, my sources All right. on this. Like, um, I will have a list of the books that I used for this reference. Uh, tricky to do them all right now, so look at the website or mm. look at the social media for that. Um, but, yeah, stout, stout just meant more and brewers would use it different ways publicans would use it different ways it gets really tricky there so when we're looking at even a brewery like guinness guinness started with porter they did yes but as they go on they start defining more and more of their beer as stout mm. so they still had porter but this this one was stout a stout porter, porter. Yeah. so it started to take over really um, we have more and more people calling things stout, and we have changes in the malt mm -hmm. that are really kind of pushing forward a change in the terminology, too. Yeah. Because people don't see it as porter anymore because it's different. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I mean, what, what's incredible, too, is uh, when, we were at, when we were at the liquor store, there were a ton of stouts there. And this is a smaller uh, 
this is a smaller liquor store and all that too. Ton of stouts. There were only two porters in the whole liquor store. Yep. J- just two. This yep. one and uh, Breckenridge Vanilla Stout. I mean, uh, Vanilla Porter. <laughs> you Shut did up. it too. I did it too, damn it. <laughs> and that, that one's a nitro. Yeah. Which is a little different as well. Um, this one is not. This, this is yeah. definitely CO2 here. But, but just the fact about how, like, stouts, like, really are, are much more present when it's coming to dark beer as opposed to porters nowadays, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. They, they didn't even have an international one. They, right. They, I mean, of course, they had Guinness and a few other darker beers. They, they had a Bach as well, but no porters. Yeah, yeah. And, and so that's... That's something that started to happen, too, as we go through, like, you you have the porter in the UK, in London, until about the 1950s. And so, by that time, obviously, we've gone through two world wars, and the second one was pretty bad for London, right? They did not do well. And uh, they also didn't have a whole lot of barley and wheat at their disposal, or, yeah. you know, like... These breweries cannot just have their ingredients. Yeah, everything everything was rationed back then, yep. and so supply and, chains were in the gutter. And they could take your brewing vessels and use them as you know metal for these for yeah. supplies. No matter what you did, it was being used for the war. Right. So that killed so many breweries, but porters did stay alive in Ireland. They did stay alive in the U.S. throughout all of this. In fact, we had porters in the U.S., so we, we said starting in 1760-ish, mm-hmm. right? All the way, take the chunk out for Prohibition, but we have several breweries that come back with porters right as Prohibition ends. Mm-hmm. So we're talking like Yingling. Yingling has Yingling. a porter. Yingling has a very, very old porter. They're, they're, yeah. They are the oldest active uh, brewery in the United States, actually. Oh, I didn't know that. Either. They are. They're older than Budweiser, Coors. They are the oldest. If you're ever in Pennsylvania and uh, you can make it out there, do the tour. They actually have caves where they used to condition the beer. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's awesome. It's such a cool experience. If I could have gotten my hands on Yingling Porter for, for this, <laughs> well, I would have. Yingling is only East Coast. It doesn't really go very far. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I would have, though. Big brewery, though. It's in every every single bar on the East Coast has it. But so, so we've got porters in the U.S. throughout, right? Mm-hmm. There's only a gap for prohibition. In Ireland, we've got porters till, I believe it was 1973. Uh, but the U.K., lost it 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 brought it back yes Mm -hmm. but there there was like 20 year period at least where they really didn't have a porter now and and they're the originators that you took the words out of my mouth i was gonna say that right right so we're an example of the u.s is an example of porters going on and going on definitely looks like more adjuncts in general, when I see a porter, I'm seeing an adjuncted porter. I'm seeing something with peanut butter or coffee or mm-hmm. vanilla mm-hmm. or... Very few just plain porters right now yeah, in yeah. the United States. Yeah. 
so so this is how we end up where we are um but i think it's also really blurred the lines because i can have a coffee stout and a coffee porter yeah and how different are they mm. well, well uh, how, how about this uh, it, it, i mean that you can edit this podcast how you want or whatever so a staple here in fort collins when we're talking coffee stout you know which one yeah i do sad panda sad panda Horse and Dragon, that might be the best unbarrel-aged coffee stout I've ever had. I, right. I, I absolutely love it. But you compare that to the coffee porter that we're drinking right here. If you were to have them side by side, how could you compare those? You know, that, that's what I mean. Like, like, what notes do you get? The notes are very similar. Right, and I'm going to say that... Um, these are not things that you enter into competition for mm-hmm. a porter, for the porter style at, you know, big, big beer festivals. Yeah. Okay. Because they just don't, don't quite fit. You know, you're blurring mm-hmm. the lines again. And are you really, you know, uh, in the porter style here? Mm. Tricky when you add coffee. I'm not yeah. so certain that you've you've really stuck to porter exactly i mean this definitely seems more like stout territory to me if you were but it's but that's where the history gets so muddy and all that and and you have a lot of people you know saying different things Mm -hmm. or or like they uh repeated stories that weren't true like you know that 1802 story Mm. that's that's where it gets tricky and every single beer that i've looked into has had a fun story that's super clean and also not true and then you get into it and it's muddy it's it's it makes for great stories though <laughs> it's like yes like that it's like that movie big fish <laughs> oh, fun. <laughs> actually because i know i know we're wrapping up all the history and all that but a question you asked me at the start of this podcast I'd like to hear your perspective. What do you think of when you think of a porter, Lauren? I think of the porters that I've had. So like Black Butte Porter. Okay. That was one of the first ones that I had. And that I saw consistently at, you know, different pubs. Mm. Um, I think of Nitro Vanilla Porter from Black Okay. <laughs> well, I, th- I find that interesting <laughs> how you and I have like different th- things. Like, because... You use like specific examples. I talked more about atmosphere. Yeah. And, and when I know it's weird when you say porter, a place I haven't been to in a long time. I actually think more like Coopersmiths. Oh, fun. Believe it or not. Coopersmiths is a local pub here in Fort Collins. And again, a cooper is somebody who makes the barrel, right? Yep, exactly. So, so we talked about the coopers failing with uh, the... The porter, the porter flood. and flooding, flooding everyone. So, so I mean, I don't even, I, I don't even know how they made those so big. How the Coopers made these giant. Well, was the Industrial Revolution? They got, they got creative. Oh, well, this is 1790, so we're yeah. not even in full blown Industrial Revolution, are we yet? So, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's, they also didn't have Netflix to keep them entertained twenty four seven. So, what are you I gonna guess, do? I, I guess gonna I, drink. Yeah, and uh, I know I, you told me to think about what would what book 
uh, would I read or whatever while either drinking a porter or what would a porter remind me of? Yeah, our this is our our DJ Steve. What what would you? Oh, we we, because uh, uh, I see the what comments right there. What would you right read there, yeah. or what would you? Uh, compare the porter to either either one. I was gonna say I know it's. I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking like Mary Poppins, actually. Yeah. You, you know, very standard British. I think it's something that Mr. Banks would have drank. I, I know the book and the movie are very different. Right. I've got, I know I've got my degree in film and all that, but I think like a very stand, a very British thing. As far as a book goes, maybe if I was reading um, like Good Omens or something. You know. Ooh, okay. okay. You know, because Good Omens has such a British humor to it. It's almost like Monty Python esque. That's like something I could read. I could read in a uh, British pub. You know, si- sipping on my porter and just en- enjoying the the humor behind it and all and, and all and all of the footnotes that make fun of Americans. You want to you want to hear a random porter fact? You ready what? for this? Yeah, yeah. One of the guys from Monty Python ordered, opened a porter brewery. Which one? Ah, uh, I mean, I have to look back oh, through it. it. It failed, so it's not. Around. <laughs> no, I. <laughs> no, I need to. I need to know this because I love Monty Python. <laughs> I'm just. I'm, I'm typing in Monty Python porter beer, and I'm sure something's gonna pop up here porter maybe beer. it's a little obscure no, that's I'm... okay the internet is full of stuff uh was that a black sheep brewery i mean i, I honestly for... don't remember i just remember reading it oh terrence terrence oblong i think oh no it there can be a recording to monty python's erica Ah, we'll have to. I'll have to go look that up. Now, Isn't that great? Yeah, that's a, that's amazing. So perfect. So it's like okay, they're thinking the same thing. <laughs> so yeah, that 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 would that would definitely be me. Something so incredibly British, but like old school British. Not don't get me wrong. Love Harry Potter. My brother had a Harry Potter themed wedding, but I think more like old school British with British wry humor or absurd humor, you know. The actor was Terry Jones, by the way, who opened Penrose Brewery in 1977. What, what about you? Okay, so for me, um, I'm going to go to an author. His name is Glenn Cook. And his story is um, he was military, U.S. military. Okay. And... They spend a lot of time, by the way, waiting, <laughs> sitting, waiting. And so, you know, some of the guys end up reading a lot. And that was that was Glenn Cook. And he's reading a lot of sci-fi fantasy. And he's like, you know, all of the characters featured in this are royalty or wizards or... Just they're they're well to do, but nobody nobody is writing about me, the soldier. What about what about fantasy with me? 
Like, what would that look like? The, the fantasy from the view of the soldier. And so he wrote the, the Black Company series. <laughs> so oh, cool. it's... He's just waiting. And then I'm going <laughs> to write something. Yeah. So the wow. entire series is from the viewpoint of the medic of this mercenary company who is fighting at the behest of these sorcerers. Whoever pays them is who they fight for. They are not necessarily going for like what the just cause is. But it's really interesting, his perspective. Mm. And also, I, I mean, maybe part of it is because it's called the Black Company, and this is, this is a very dark beer. <laughs> <laughs> but that, yeah. is, that is a book that I would read and enjoy this with. I could see that. Yeah, it's it's that. a it's really so cool. good series, and and the cover art is phenomenal. Well, now I know that's something I've got to read. It's what, and not trying to go on a tangent too much, but so many people keep asking me, "Have you watched this show? Have you watched this show?" I'm like, I like to read a lot too. I've got a few shows that I like to watch, but I like to read. That's <laughs> like you do, you know? Yeah, yeah. This is this is a good one, but um, yeah. his writing style is a little different, and some people have a harder time getting into it. I did, mm. uh, but the well, well, content was fun. Like when you say it's a harder style, like what do you what do you mean by that? Is is it like uh, old Victorian? No, is it no, is no, it? No. Uh, no, it's just even Good Omens has a very British style to it, if that makes sense. I'll give you one one example of some okay. of his characteristics. So like. Um, they'll have a major battle and from your main character's perspective it's one sentence. So um, he'll be like yeah we fight, we fought him we won blah blah blah. He doesn't describe the battle. He's much more interested in what's going on with his brothers. That almost sounds that almost sounds like uh, Kurt Vonnegut style a little bit when you're saying that. It's so he's hard to describe um but that's that is one of his quirks is like uh it's not always exactly what you expect Correct. yeah that, that, that's where i mentioned kurt vonnegut because he did that a lot of times too right but, but i i do think that's probably more yeah. accurate to the soldier's perspective yeah it's like the battle is a flash oh it the is pot and the you're, rest is you're like, trying to stay alive and you're watching all this horrible shit go down you know and then the rest is waiting and hanging out with your brothers <laughs> and pranks yeah. and uh well this has you yeah. know yeah. novices they are your brothers when you're out if you want to reach out that. definitely find us on social media and if you want to donate me a beer or whatever support the podcast um we have a patreon and a coffee until next time drink less drink better and always enjoy <laughs>